Hello, Titan family, and welcome to our inaugural episode of Fram and Friends that we're doing 100% virtually. Um, it is also our first episode with two guests, and it's our first episode with a video component. So a lot of firsts, and I'm really excited. And I know Fram is really excited too. So without further ado, here's your host and our president, Fram Virgi. Uh, hello, everybody out there that is uh, listening to this. I'm glad uh, that we can uh, connect even during these times when uh, we can't see each other personally. Um, I have the pleasure of seeing um, everybody that I'm talking to right now on the screen, which is helpful to me. Uh, uh, I don't know if that makes me a visual learner or something or not, but I, I like seeing the people that I'm talking to much better than uh, just talking to people on the phone. Um, you know, I, I, uh, Matt asked me if how we might proceed with respect to this podcast, with respect to Fram and Friends during the, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, whether we should go forward, and if so, what should we talk about? Um, and I felt quite uh, strongly that we should continue to um, uh, have these podcasts and connect with people and hopefully share information, because I think that's a way of building community. Um, and staying connected, which is essential during these time periods. So I asked Matt to give me some names of some people to um, to uh, uh, bring on on the show, and he he brought me all kinds of names of people, uh, but none of them struck me. None of them felt right, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, some of them were Titan alums that are experts in their fields and talking about the health pandemic and what's going on out there, and others were. Uh, not Titans, but had lots of good things that I'm sure they would they would say. And then a couple of days ago, uh, uh, an email went out to the Titan community uh, that uh, uh, went out from my two guests, uh, where uh, two amazing women uh, who are consummate professionals, but also just warm, inviting, and wonderful people, um, uh, took a risk and put their name out there saying, uh, I know these are isolating times. I know these are times when uh, uh, we are uh, craving connection uh, and we want to facilitate that opportunity to have those discussions. I have to tell you, I was completely touched by it, um, but also empathized with it completely. And I thought, okay, there we go. Matt said, I think we found our two guests. And I said, without, without a doubt. And so um, I want to introduce my two guests. Uh, they are people that I know well from um, working with them on campus. They are great, great uh, partners uh, with us uh, on the Academic Senate is where I see them most of the time. Um, but they are amazing faculty members and amazing community members. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves um, and tell a little bit about themselves. Uh, but I, I want to introduce Michelle Woods and, and Christy Cannell. And uh, Michelle, why don't you go first? Why don't you share with us, Michelle, um, your background and, and, and how maybe you came, came to talk to Christy about going ahead and um, uh, putting yourselves out there and offering this opportunity. Sure. Um, I'm chair of the Department of Public Health. Christy and I are in the same college. Uh, my background and training is in psychology, community psychology, and public health. And I study, uh, I research behavior change interventions and messaging around disasters. How do you write messages so people take appropriate protective actions? Christy and I are colleagues and friends. 
we chat in the Senate, we both had the exact same response to the unfolding um, epidemic and had concerns about the well-being of our community. And so in our conversations, we kept bringing this up and that's how uh, Christy's done more of this formally. Um, and we were happy to work together. Christy, how about you? What, what, what was it that made you think about this? Tell us a little bit about who you are and your background and, the, and how you and Michelle got uh, collaborating on this. Sure, sure. Um, I'm a professor and chair of the Department of Human Services. My specialty is in the field of crisis intervention. And I actually had been a community psychotherapist um, for since 1983 when I became a licensed therapist. And I started working in the field of community disaster and doing what's called trauma response and critical incident debriefing and really did a lot of research on crisis intervention, which was based on a the coconut grove fire. And so the idea of the community needing to have sessions to talk is something I've researched and studied and teach, created a course and I have a whole book on it and everything and it's used around in many, many places for many situations. So Michelle and I were speaking, we're both from the College of Health and Human Development, and she was saying she's concerned about our faculty. Faculty are, are subject to decline in performance and achievement during this time of crisis. And I thought, people don't even know they're in crisis most of the time. And so I've studied and written about how you can tell if you might need to talk to somebody. It doesn't mean that it's therapy. It's not necessarily because you have a mental illness or a mental disorder. It's just these are natural reactions to crisis situations. And we thought of um, she could provide information from the public health standpoint. And I have some ideas of how to talk to people as I've talked to people after the Persian Gulf War, after the terrorist attack in Las Vegas, um, the tsunami, Katrina, after 9-11, earthquakes, various places I would go in and, and do these kinds of talks with people. It's a one-time shot and it's very helpful. So we thought we would just offer this as I was on the mental health task force for students and I realized they have all this resources available for them like this, but the faculty and staff might not have this kind of resource and we really have to take care of our faculty so that they can perform and teach and be there for students, give them a life vest to put on so that they can take care of others. Well, you all who are listening to this can't see this, but it is um, uh, quintessentially perfect that I'm looking at these two women. And behind Christy, I see a dream catcher up on the wall um, that uh, just automatically makes me think about um, uh, the, um, peacefulness of uh, what that represents. And behind Michelle, she's got a, a backdrop of beautiful trees. It's almost like she's in the middle of a forest. And, and yeah. so you, there you go. So you or, we already, I already get a sense that you know exactly how to do this, folks. So let me ask you a question. What does, um, as experts and as research, researchers in this area, um, what, do, what does our research tell us about people, how people respond to this kind of a situation when there's so much stress and there's so many unknowns and um, our worlds are turned upside down? Shall I take that, Michelle? You start. Talk, yeah. All right. Yes, what we found is that we have different areas that can be affected um, behaviorally, changes in behavior, being more aggressive perhaps, or being lethargic. 
Um, physically, it can affect us, draining our energy, um, psychosomatic illnesses increase. Um, socially, impaired social relationships with our children, with our spouses, with our friends, and with our students, and then cognitive impairment, um, poor memory, concentration. So there's a variety of ways in which we can be affected and not even know that it's connected to the crisis situation that we all find ourselves in. And, and I, I like to tell people that if you're having any of those problems, it could probably help you to talk to somebody just about that. It doesn't have to be full-fledged therapy, but just in a support group setting, the, the results of these, these groups like this are incredible. It's amazing how it really helps people overcome it. Um, and I would add that in public health, we think of health as more broadly than just physical health. And I think the same is probably true in human services and other fields. But health is a broad concept that includes things like our social well-being, our emotional, our spiritual, um, and other aspects of health um, and well-being. And um, when we're under um, when we're under stress and experiencing the unknown, we don't know what's going to happen and we're feeling pressured, uh, we suffer in all of these areas. And it's not, you know, our campus has done a great job moving quickly to protect people's physical health. And Christy and I were chatting about um, the other aspects of health and what we can do. Uh, we know the research tells us that social support helps make us more resilient um, and helps us manage stress more successfully. Um, so this is a real something we can do that allows people to talk to each other. We know that modeling um, healthy behaviors and cope, ways to cope successfully with stresses can be very helpful to people. Um, so um, there's a lot more to wellness. Um, I know our campus, we just had some workshops on um, uh, self-care. Uh, Portia Jackson Preston from our department did a couple through the FDC uh, yesterday and today. But you know, it's a broad, it's a broad concept, and we have a lot of expertise on campus thinking about how we protect our health, how we build resilience, how we can help each other, how we build community. And, and I wanted to add on to that. Many times the FDC trainings are excellent. They provide education and information, and yet we find there's a little bit more needed than that. Sometimes validation of emotional response and people hearing that and hearing the universality amongst other people is very reassuring. And also catharsis is very helpful, just getting it out, having the bank tellers explain what it was like to be robbed and the fears of an earthquake and hearing that and allowing your people to express that and be empathized with. The number one technique is listening to people and empathizing with them. This is what the research on all of the trauma response um, models to talk about. Those are very important. Also encouraging people to maybe reduce their workload somewhat and having optimism and building up a sense of hope. All of these things, hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness, these are things we're very concerned about for people who might be suffering from depression. We get very concerned when those build up inside of a person and being too much alone, spending too much time alone in your own head can be not a good thing for many people. Yeah, well, you, no one wants to spend any time in my head with me. It's just not pretty. Um, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because what, when, you, um, when, when I hear you both speak about this, it is actually very intuitive and very, um, it is a, a, a 
maybe almost stating the obvious, but it's something that you don't think about and that you don't appreciate. Uh, of course, you know, we all know the um, allegorical studies that are done about uh, people live longer who have a strong social structure, who, are, who have groups of friends, who, are, who stay with their partners over a long period of time. Men do better if they have a, a social network of men who they can go to and be themselves and actually open up and be transparent and be authentic. And, 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 and women, of course, the same way. And so it sounds like what you're saying is um, those are things that are always important to us from a holistic health standpoint, but they become particularly acute um, and it becomes particularly important in times of crisis. I'm interested, uh, of course, uh, both of you have spent decades um, uh, academically learning about this and paying attention to it. I mean, your credentials are impeccable and I know you've got the, the experience for this. But if our listeners were listening and they said, um, you know, right now in this time and place, I certainly can't um, uh, either logistically or financially afford to go to therapy or find a way to do that. Or I know people that I want to help, but I'm no, I'm no professional at this. Can you give some tips to our listeners on things they might do to help ease others and that they may also do themselves to um, look for some self-care? Um, you want to start, Michelle? Sure. Um, I think staying socially connected, reaching out to others, will help others and will help ourselves. Um, plenty of research tells us that being helpful to others and supportive of others is actually very beneficial to ourselves. Um, so social connection, finding, using tools, and finding new creative ways to be socially connected. Um, I think watching nutrition staying hydrated always uh, and getting rest. We know that those are always good things to do, but help us feel more energized. Um, meditation, um, breathing exercises, um, may, you know, paying attention to uh, finding that time for peace and calm. I know in the transition for faculty, a lot of us have been um, really anxious about getting all the technology set up and making the changes and we wanna do that. We wanna do it as best we can. But balancing that with some personal time, I've heard of, is it Christy who does Zumba, Z-O-O-M, Zumba? And uh, I've heard of Zumba yoga and um, Zumba stretching. And, you know, so paying attention to our physical health. Um, I always find journaling as a good way to put my stress on paper, my anxieties, and that helps me uh, then cope with it and look at it, sharing about the biggest concerns that we have. Uh, with people we feel close to can um, feel really good. Um, and I think those are probably the things that come to my mind first. Christy probably has a lot more to say. Christy, Christy, Christy mentioned listening. I heard that one as a big one, and I, I hear that. Christy, what other things should our listeners think about? Well, and, and a lot of this list is not something I made up. This is based on the years of research and what all of these people have found is that being able to express your feelings is a way to master your feelings. So don't hold them in, express them to somebody, even if you have to write them down or, or yell out loud in your home by yourself. Um, this is one of the things we do when we run these kind of support groups, get your feelings out because that's how you master them and gain a sense of control over how you're feeling. Um, pacing, pacing yourself, take it easy. 
You don't have to get everything done all at once. Maybe let go of some things that don't absolutely have to get done. So pace your efforts. Um, take care of one thing at a time. Don't try to do everything all at once. These are things that we really want to watch out for. You're right, invoking help from other people when you need it is super, super important. Gaining information and accessing reality. So make sure that you watch reality. I did a study with veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And interesting, one of the things they said that bothered them that they don't want to do is watching too much TV, hearing the president and political components about things, reducing the politics involved in all of this and just seeking information that's going to be objective and scientific and appropriate. Um, gaining hope and optimism, those things being flexible. Flexibility is really important and learning how to tolerate frustration and anxiety. That's why meditation is really important. I like to start every meeting, every class I start with a meditation exercise, just like two or three minutes. And that really helps. I go, that's how I go to bed at night. <laughs> I just do deep breathing to help me get through all of this. But, and, and remember, in order to help other people, you need to put your life vest on first. I always tell the metaphor, if there's a mother and a baby and they fell overboard and there's only, there's only one life vest for the ocean, who puts it on? The mother, of course. What good is a baby out there in the ocean all by themselves? with a life vest if the mother's not there. So we need to take care of ourselves first before we can take care of other people. That's really, really important. So one of the things I, maybe I'll, I share too much sometimes, but one of the things that I will share that I've been experiencing is, um, and, and I have a suspicion that many of our faculty members and um, some of our students as well uh, have been experiencing is if you are, um, someone who is leaned on in your household or in your community or in your family. Um, and for me, it's my own personal family, but the CSU family as well. Um, you feel a, uh, a strong pressure to be positive and to take it uh, and, and be able to take care of others. And it's hard uh, to um, uh, let yourself uh, uh, let down a little bit here and there. Um, I am imagining that there are many people out there in the community who are having those moments. I've had a couple of them myself after I've listened to the news and um, the projections for the pandemic and what's happening and how many lives we're going to lose, et cetera. And I worry, I, I have to say, I don't, I'm, I worry less about myself and I worry about others I care for and I wonder where they're going to be and how, what I can do. And I feel a sense of frustration and maybe even a little bit of hopelessness that I can't control that I'm a control freak and I want to be able to make it better. So what do you say to people that are feeling things like that, Christy? Well, the first thing I try to do whenever I see you is ask you, how are you doing? And what are you doing for self-care? <laughs> you know, and it's hard to be at the, in leadership positions because there's a sense that you know how to, you should know how to do everything and Nobody should have to take care of you, and yet you need to be taken care of as well. You're a human being too, as are these doctors and all these nurses and everybody in these positions. They all need care. They need to be helped too. Everybody does, and we have to learn to reach out to others and realize that's a sign of strength. You're role modeling for other people. Every time you reach out and share a feeling, you're role modeling to other people how to reach out. 
and share feelings. And that's something we all need to do together. And I know it's hard because it's hard to let down that image that I've got it all together and I'm the strong one. And but to be vulnerable at times and to share with people, you know, right now this is not working for me. I'm feeling uh, um, pain. I'm feeling anxious. I need somebody to share something with me and, and let me express myself. And sharing that with people, you would be surprised how then that people will respond to you. People will be happy to give back to you because giving to people, you're also receiving. Every time I help other people, I help myself. Every time I people share with me their feelings and I say something, I'm saying it to myself as well. I see you smiling and nodding your head. Fram, does that resonate? Absolutely. So Michelle, I know you guys are gonna, are starting these uh, groups. Um, uh, we're purposely not calling it therapy or anything like that. It's just a chance for folks to get together and talk and share. Um, tell us how these groups will will work. Maybe the logistics of it. If someone is um, thinking about stepping outside of their comfort zone and joining this group, what might they expect? How long will it last? What? How will they participate? Give us a little bit of a roadmap. Uh, folks will email Christy and or myself to let us know they're interested. We have already set up our first um, group. We will, as we, we hear about people who want to participate, we'll create more groups. Um, they will um, happen on Zoom and um, they will last, we're thinking between one and two hours, somewhere in there, depends on the needs of the group. We don't want them too large. Um, we don't want them to be too small. So at least five folks together. Um, and we will chat and share and Christy will facilitate and I will support and we will all share with each other. And the idea is, um, you know, if we have confidants that we can share our, express our, our authentic emotions, that part of ourselves that we were hesitant to share with the entire world, the fears the uncertainties, the doubts. If we don't have that, or if we're not comfortable with that at this time and our needs aren't being met, this is an opportunity with our colleagues to just talk about what are the stresses and how are we coping and learn from each other and support each other. And I just want the listeners to know that I'll put both your emails in the uh, show notes so that you, you can be con faculty can contact you for that. So, Christy, do you envision this being um, uh, a one-time meeting where this group gets together, or will the same group repeatedly get together? Will you be in different groups at different times? How will this work? What I have found through my experience is usually it's a one-time meeting from between an hour and a half to two. That's typical. And that gives everybody a chance to fully express, get all their needs and feelings out, provide information. That's why it's great to have a person who knows a lot about epidemiology and um, to, to share certain information, but also people give each other information. So someone might want to know how to do homeschooling, how to deal with my child who's run around screaming, and we can all share together. I, as a professional, so-called psychologist, or I mean, not, I shouldn't quote it, but as a professional, I seem to have a lot of information related to a lot of issues. And I know about PTSD, I know about various anxieties and depressions that I can share information with people. It might even help somebody to find out, no, you're really not suffering from that. Okay, to, and that's some, I know I saw my doctor the other day because I had a pain in my heel 
I showed it to him. I told him and him telling me it's probably tendonitis, do this and that. I was so relieved to find out I didn't have a hairline fracture, which I self-diagnosed, okay? So sometimes hearing what you don't have can be very relieving. And so I think that's a lot of what we do. We all share together. We listen, we empathize, we validate. And I have found after doing that, usually one or two people out of a group of 20, let's say, may want to be referred for ongoing kind of group or ongoing personal work. But that is not the typical. Once in a while that happens and then I would be available to offer resources and talk to that person privately if somebody did want to get other resources other than these kind of groups like this. And then we can talk offline privately about that if somebody did want to know a little bit more because I can educate about the process of therapy and, and I can help people with that as well. And it's my pleasure to do this. It's, I'm not doing this for any kind of monetary reward or any points or anything. This is just my life's meaning in life and what I've done for the last 40 years in my life. And this is what I want to do. I'm no longer in private practice. So this allows me to continue with the skills that I've developed and honed for so many years. And it's, it helped me, honestly. Every time I do it, it's very helpful for me as well. So, Michelle, I know one of the things that you spend a lot of time working on is public policy issues and, 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 and what we ought to be doing as a society and uh, institutionally with respect to these kinds of uh, issues. Um, you know, uh, making lemonade out of lemons, this is a, a great time to be paying attention to that. Uh, we are our own crucible. We are our own experiment as we go through this together. What, what, what uh, policies, considerations, or policy decisions should we be making um, as an institution, as Cal State Fullerton, as CSU? What we should we be hoping that California will do in conjunction with this to help with this uh, stress issue and, and making sure that we stay mentally health and, and healthy? Well, first I will say um, public health likes to look at health and wellness and what we do to prevent illness and um, not being well. We look at in terms of um, primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. So we like to prevent problems before they happen. And we have interventions designed to do that. We like to identify problems rapidly, early, early um, identification of problems so that we can mitigate and reduce the negative effects. And we like to do conduct interventions and, and put in policy into place that will, um, once the problem exists, help limit the damage to quality of life. So it will help improve quality of life, extend well-being. So I'm always thinking in terms of policies that cover all three bases. And, and I know this is a model that is used in other disciplines. Christy's shaking her head because it's very familiar to her. But um, do we have policies in place to prevent isolation and distress during times of pandemic or other disasters, earthquakes, fires, whatever it may be. What do we have in place to prevent distress among our various um, communities, our various sub pockets of our larger Titan family, right? Our students, our faculty, our staff, administration, everybody together. Um, and what are those? And are they robust? And is there, um, redundancy in those different kinds of um, 
interventions, I'll call them. Redundancy in a time of disaster is a very good thing. We want as much overlap and redundancies and cross-references as possible so that we have a good response. So uh, primary prevention before things happen. What do we have in place for um, early detection for identifying folks who are struggling? Uh, and just the email that, that our, our provost sent out, um, you know, from Christy and myself is one way to help people get identified quickly and, and help limit the impact. Um, so that's an example. And then uh, folks who are dealing with stress, what can we, you know, who have serious, um, serious problems or complications that arise because of whatever it is that's going on, um, what do we have in place to help them and to help improve the quality of life as they deal with the aftermath? Um, that's one framework I use in thinking about um, policy. I'm not a policy researcher. There are others in my department who are, who, who could probably um, give you a nice long discussion about this. Um, but public health has you know, many different facets. Policy is one, epidemiology is another. Uh, designing and evaluating interventions to help people change behaviors uh, so that they can adopt healthier behaviors and avoid health harming behaviors is another. So health promotion is what that would be called. Um, we have biostatisticians who focus on data. We have environmental health specialists who look at environmental hazards. Um, and um, all of that comes together. We have a strong focus on equity. So I know I have faculty members in my department who are really concerned about the equity component in this pandemic and how it affects people differentially, how the way we adapt. Uh, I know our campus has done a lot to pay attention to equity issues with our students and making sure all of our students have access to internet and to the technology they need to be successful. And yesterday in the Senate, we passed a bunch of resolutions designed to help um, increase equity or, or, you know, deal with some of the potential um, challenges some of us may face. So um, I guess that's a long way to say, I'm not going to answer your question directly <laughs> because that's not my area of expertise. I, I, think, I think you answered it very other, well. I can give you some other information. I think you answered it very well. I, I guess what, one question I would ask is, um, what can the university do better right now um, to support your goals of promoting better wellness, and holistic wellness and, and, and mental health during this time period? And what lessons might we learn during this time period, which when this pandemic is over and when this crisis is over and when we're back to whatever our new normal is, we can actually continue to pay attention to good, strong mental health and holistic health, things that we should be doing as a university. Ideas, uh, ladies, that you might like to share? I, I have some ideas. I, I do know that um, the whole field of crisis intervention started off in the 40s, and they had nothing like crisis intervention prior to that. It was just psychiatry and psychoanalysis. And, these two people, Kaplan and, and, and Lindemann, they developed a program called Preventive Psychiatry, that if you can get to people early enough during crisis, that you can prevent them from having mental health problems later on. And, and we do know that we want to have early intervention because um, if you go too long, if you go more than six weeks and you haven't, and you're struggling and you haven't had any intervention, you will, you will, 
go back to functioning, but at a lower level than before, or you could possibly become suicidal or homicidal or non-functioning because we use defense mechanisms to overcome our crisis states. And that really concerns me right now. The amount of people at home drinking and drugging and escaping and, you know, using defense mechanisms that are not, that are dangerous for their, when they come out of this, when we come out of the, the crisis situation, they're going to be left in this lowered state of functioning. It's not like they're going to go back to normal all of a sudden if they don't get the help. And I think educating faculty and staff as much as we do students about mental health and promoting it a little bit more um, for everybody on campus and taking away the stigma about utilizing EAP programs, the employee assistance programs, and utilizing counseling services. You don't have to have a mental disorder to utilize those services. I think in general in our whole state and our policy, mental health should be part of medical health. I do not know why they separate that out. And um, people just need to be more educated about it and, and take away the stigma and shame about reaching out for help to people. And I don't know if we as a university can do more on that or not. Um, I don't know that there are many faculty who know much about it except people like in my college, my department, because we're all psychologists, so we all tend to know a lot about that. Um, but I don't know that people in other fields have a good understanding about these things. I brought it up many times on the Senate floor uh, about the need for people to understand lifelong learning and be required to take these classes. And, and I think that it's just paramount that faculty, not just students, know about this. Are you so, finding that the faculty that are responding to your email that was sent out by the provost are cross-disciplinary or are you finding mostly from your college or how's that? I don't think it's very cross-disciplinary. That's one of the issues is that when you know about how useful it is to, to use interventions, you tend to use them more. There's a joke that therapists make up 45% of mental health clients because we know how useful it is and that, you know, I wish more people from other disciplines would join in because they might not even know that they need it because part of the training in our disciplines is self-monitoring, self-awareness, self-reflection. Those are huge parts of our disciplines. And so we are pay attention to things like that. Whereas maybe other people from other disciplines, they don't pay attention to it. They don't know about it. They don't have as much knowledge basically about it and insight. So they don't understand. They don't see how going to talking for an hour, how's that going to help things? They might not understand that it is very effective. And I mean, I've done, I've worked with people from the Big Bear fires and the things I could tell you about how useful these events are. I mean, just bringing, we brought somebody a brand new pack of underwear and she was crying and saying, somebody cared about me. And she was so much better just after that. And you remember after 9-11, all the flags that were put up on all the windows everywhere, going around and seeing that just makes a huge difference. The community support right now, you know, the community phase, and this is something I wanted to get into a little bit. Community disaster goes through phases. We had the, the heroic phase where everybody's quarantining. We're all just staying safe and not getting hurt. And now we're kind of in a honeymoon period. Everybody's being nice to each other. We're stabilized out a little bit. 
But as soon as this is over and we're out of quarantine, then we enter into what's called the disillusionment period where nobody's now taking care of everything. You know, it's not as good. It's going to come back and it's going to hit hard that we're back. How do we now readjust to this? And then we go into that final reconstruction phase of adjusting to coming back to things. And that is something that I think the university and the state needs to consider. How do people get back to readjustment after this period is over, after the end of summer, or if we go back in fall, how do we set up adjustment and realize people are gonna be like walking around in this limbo. We used to see that in the battered women's shelter. How do they adjust to now to be safe? And they, it took them a while to be able to handle that. I, I also think that I have a couple of ideas I'll add. I think that um, I've already said social connection is so important. And when I think about our students um, and their social media experiences and their virtual social experiences, they have those. But I think it's important for all of us to maintain social experiences with our campus community. And I think it would be I think it would be helpful to think through some creative ways to create social events that we can share even during times where we're isolated physically, you know? And and I that's kind of a new thing, you know, how to do that. I know uh this is one effort actually that we're doing right now. And I know we're, we're talking about some other things that are underway, but I'd love to see our campus think intentionally about how can we build some social events for our students and our faculty and the rest of us to um, spend time with each other, not focused on the work piece, but on the social piece. Um, I think that we have great resources on our campus for dealing with um, and responding to mental health challenges um, and uh, our well-being. But I think that they can be and should be reviewed for how successful, how successful, but how they can be optimized for living in the virtual uh, reality. You know, if, if we're gonna be safer at home, how do, they, how do they translate? Is there anything we can do to make them a little more optimal for this setting? So great resources, let's just look at them again. And um, I think part of that is for our faculty, you know, Christy made this point that there are some disciplines on our campus, psychology, social work, human services, public health to some degree, various disciplines. I know I missed some, um, counseling comes to mind. Um, have the skills on the faculty to identify students who may be struggling, but other disciplines don't. And um, they have other areas of wonderful expertise. So it would be helpful to come up with some resources for faculty, all of us, to be able to say, okay, if you're meeting with students virtually, here's how you might identify students, here's what to look for, and uh, here's where to go, and here's how to handle that in a virtual environment. Um, because it'll be a little different. Um, and I know we've done, so, you know, we've done an awful lot for this during normal times. So how can we optimize it? So what, some of the things you guys are saying uh, resonate with me so strongly because um, uh, just this morning, uh, I was uh, uh, we had a, a virtual meeting on Zoom with uh, a group that is a group of, of uh, first generation students who have been meeting regularly on campus and 
uh, were reluctant to meet uh, uh, otherwise. And here we had, I don't know, 35, 40 uh, first gen students and I got to come in and speak with them and share my first generation story. And um, I hope it was helpful for them. I know it was extremely uh, rewarding for me to see faces, to be part of a community, uh, to um, uh, listen to them and hear what they had to say and uh, play off of that and, and know that together we were finding a sense of uh, tribal unity, a sense of, uh, of, of continuity and community. Um, so those social events, finding ways to do that, you're right, we need to work on that. Um, <laughs> I've been saying what we did in the first two or three weeks of this was breathtaking. It really was. To move 40,000 students to virtual learning, to move 3,000 faculty members to virtual teaching, to move 6,000 employees to working from home, um, to get our students safe, uh, to, you know, all the things we've done. We got through the crisis phase that uh, a little bit that uh, uh, Christy was talking about. Now we're looking at getting our supplemental services, which just because they're supplemental does not mean they are not uh, um, critical up and running. So we've got our supplemental instruction up and going. We've got our tutoring up and going and we've got our library research up and going. We need to get our virtual communities up and running. So our diversity and inclusion center is doing that with the special populations as is our vet center and as is our uh, male success initiative. But we have to find ways of connecting with everyone. Um, I think that's so important. And then the one other thing that, uh, that struck me about what you had to say, and this is so random, but it's really important. Um, uh, you know, our provost, uh, her discipline is psychology. She is a clinical psychologist by, by training. Um, and not only is she one of the most wonderful people in the world with one of the biggest hearts in the world, she actually, it, like the two of you, is a professional at this. And it's been... Uh, incredibly rewarding for us as an institution to have someone with that approach uh, in charge doing this and then so I want to recognize Pam Oliver and what amazing things that she has done uh, 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 for us as a community. Yeah. Absolutely and you know some of the, the things you're talking about are resonating in the data we're seeing just with like the VPSA search uh, that we've been having if you look at the numbers there's two, 300 people attending those virtually, which is a high number. If we were on campus, we may not have that many. So as we plan our town halls and our university award programs, uh, as we first got into it, we wondered how many people are going to come to this. And now we're seeing people are really wanting this. They're wanting that community that you're talking about. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I, interesting. I was on a call yesterday with um, all the representatives from all the colleges in the area talking to uh, one of our representatives in, in Washington, D.C., to Congresswoman Sanchez. And uh, everyone was saying they have record attendance in their classes. Um, and not only do they have record attendance, they have record participation. People are asking questions because now you can do it by raising your hand virtually, uh, by unmuting, by talking and chatting, and, and instruction is going on in the chat while the same time it's going on in the lecture, while the same time people are raising. I mean, it's really quite uh, extraordinary. Uh, it is changing the face of how we're going to deliver instruction, that is for sure, into the future. Yeah. 
I just had a faculty meeting today. Everybody showed up on time. They, they didn't want to leave. Mm. And I said, I got to go, you know, after two hours. And, um, but I have noticed even with my faculty, they're in that phase. The honeymoon's over, honey. Summer's starting. We've got to, it, it isn't, we're over the crisis. And so they are, it's, it's a new adjustment period. Each stage creates a new adjustment. So we really need to tune into the, the adjustment as each stage happens now that we're all safe. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Michelle just shared an interesting statistic on the chat there. Uh, 220 people yesterday at Senate. It wow. was, I was watching the number. It was at 218. I didn't watch it the entire time because I was engaged in discussion, but yeah, we, it was huge. That's a lot of participation. Absolutely. Um, if I could follow up on something, Fran, you were talking kind of about the future of um, our technology and how we use technology to create and sustain community. Um, I think there's a, there's this fine line, you know, we have some resistance to going online and using all the modern technology because we don't want to turn into um, a completely online university without any human connection. And so there is some resistance. And yet we have moved mountains and brought all of this virtually, you know, so quickly, so wonderfully. Um, it's breathtaking. Um, I think the challenge, a challenge before us is how to make use of the technology we have to be as effective as we can be while still preserving and maintaining and protecting and celebrating our, um, our physical community and our face-to-face um, -face, uh, reality. And you're absolutely right, Michelle. I, uh, uh, reading the Chronicle of Education, there was an article a couple of weeks ago that referred to the, uh, the COVID-19 as the black swan of higher education. Um, <laughs> that it is going to transform us whether we like it or not. We are being transformed as we like it or not. And what we will have to do, and, this, and when I say we, I really mean we, especially with our, our faculty and our academic senate and, and all the stakeholders, we will have to decide coming out of this who we want to be because we will no longer be, we cannot go back to where we were. Um, so what we will have to decide is how do we take the best of um, the ability to provide access uh, virtually like this and having close contact. So for example, we have been constrained dramatically by physical uh, capacity on our campus. We have a campus with 40,000 students um, that was built for 20, 25,000 max. And we've always said we can't have more students. Well. You know, we don't need to build more buildings because if we try to tell someone we need to build a new building because we need more classrooms, they can say, wait a minute, you just delivered almost a full semester virtually. So what we have to think of in inventive ways, I'm saying maybe there's a, you come to school, I'm just making this up, but you come in a class that meets three times a week, you come once a week physically, or you come twice a week physically and you, and you intersperse and the rest of the time you, you, you tune in virtually. You, uh, if you are sick, there's no excuse for missing class because you can come this way. Um, uh, we can have distance learning occur much more often. We can, we can collaborate with the community colleges, with other universities much 
more often. We can offer broader courses, um, cross-disciplinary courses. Uh, the next new frontier is going to be how are we going to do our laboratories uh, virtually. We're doing it now, but how are we going to do it effectively? Um, so there's all these new exciting frontiers. Yet the, the higher education has changed uh, forever, regardless. Now we have, but we have to make it our own. We have to make it an individualized experience because um, with the greatest respect to other universities, I don't want to be University of Phoenix. I don't want to be uh, Arizona State. I am not interested in that. Um, I, I, we, um, Cal State Fullerton is special for a reason. And it is special because of the community that we create with each other. And I don't believe we could create the same community virtually. Uh, we have to uh, see each other. Uh, I, you know, I can't wait to be standing in the middle of the quad and having kids running all around me and have 40,000 students and feel that and literally rest and saturate in it. It is what, who we are. So it's going to be very interesting. And I make a comment about, about the humanistic factor and scientifically and neurologically, there is something to the idea of having connection. I'd be interested to see if we emit the same mirror neurons virtually that we do when we're live with people, because there actually is a chemical response to people looking at people's eyes and seeing that. And I, I don't know if we can get it virtually. I hope somebody's doing a study on that, but we really do need contact. We know we need that. We need physical contact, and this is going to be very difficult. They're saying no more shaking hands ever. I mean, you know, I don't, know how, I don't know how to move it. I also wanted to make another point you said about uh, students who are sick can now come to class. Well, I forgot to mention that in my layout of what we need to do, which is people need to function in as many areas as they can. <laughs> Stay functioning where you can. Try to keep structure and a routine and get up and put your clothes on and do a routine and don't just lie around and accept that learned helplessness. We have to be, have as much power. And that's why we were all giving and donating. To, I don't know if you remember this. We donated to the 9-11, to the Katrina Fund and every liquor store you went, you put money in and anything you can do to help others helps you feel more in control and less powerless. So I wanted to really make sure to get those things and function where you can. It helps you not feel so powerless about things, but know when to back off. That's what's really important. So Michelle, I know, um, I see in the chat, you said something very sage as well, is that as we think about this technology, we need to be very, very careful and cognizant of equity and inclusion and opportunity and making sure uh, as our mission, as Cal State Fullerton, that's who we are. We are the great, uh, a social equalizer and the, and the best hope for many students to um, uh, thrive socioeconomically. And you're absolutely right. We need to do that. We need to, that, that'll be part of the calculus of, as to who we are and become. So we are running short of time, of course. We, I feel like I could have this conversation with the two of you forever. Um, and uh, maybe this is my version of therapy. I really like it. I, this is great. Um, but I want to give you both a chance to um, share any last thoughts or, or tips with, um, with the, our students, our faculty who might have tuned in, um, maybe a hopeful message for where we're going and how we're going to come out of that, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call it a wrap. Um, uh, uh, Christy, you want to start? Sure. I, I, I did want to mention that there does 
people are struggling now because it's been a long time that we're home with our families and our children and there is can be some family and marital issues we do see some increases in problems with that and i there is help available and you're not alone and i want you to know there are people who want to talk to you who want you to reach out to them it's really important to know you're not alone and that people want to talk to you. I want to talk to you and there's many others who would like to. And that's really important to keep in mind. And there is hope, things are getting better. Our president, Fram, and our governor were on the spot. We are going to flatten the curve and we are going to make everybody safe. We took definitive action. We are doing so good, that gives us hope. And we have to continue to have hope and you need to keep being safe and do what you can do to help out. And I've been telling my students by them continuing to go to school and learn and teachers continuing to do their job, you are helping the broader community. You are doing something important for this world. It's meaningful and it's really important to keep doing that. And your children, it's an opportunity to get closer to your children and to your spouses and to your significant others by kindness and shared kindness and take a deep breath and do some meditation. And we're here for you. We're meeting on Tuesday. Please contact me or Michelle if you would like to join in. We will start a new group the following week. So we're just gonna keep doing this until people are no longer interested in it. It's helpful to everybody. And Fran, you're always welcome to join us as well. Okay, thank you. Michelle, thoughts, final thoughts? Yes. Uh Christy said that very eloquently, so I'm not going to try to restate any of that because it was perfect. I will add that um, the fact that our university is using evidence and data to make decisions and drive policy gives me great a great sense of peace uh, as a public health researcher. Uh, that means the world to me, so I'm happy about that. Um, I think we know from research that um, when we can't control things, it's good to focus on what we can control um, and that focusing on what we can be grateful for um, increases our happiness. And we have a lot to be grateful for. And we are part of this wonderful institution and this larger family. And as Christy said, we're all in this together and we're here for each other. So I would just uh, encourage people to take care, all of us to take care of ourselves and each other. Uh, and we will um, learn and grow through this whole experience. And to all the faculty listeners out there, um, again, Christy and Michelle's contact information will be in the show notes. You can email both of them or either of them to join one of these faculty sessions. So I want to thank you both for taking the time to do this. Um, it was, uh, you know, the name of the show is Fram and Friends, and I got to do it with two friends, and that just makes me very, very happy. Uh, uh, I'm so glad to be part of the Titan community with you. Titans, please, please, please stay safe, uh, be healthy, uh, and we'll see you very soon on campus. But in the meantime, um, there's going to be lots of opportunities to get together. Thanks so much. Take care, you guys. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fram and Friends, a collaboration between Titan Radio and Cal State Fullerton. For more episodes like the one you just heard, visit titanradio.org.